welcome back to the comics table. We're at the comics table in New York City. New York City. My name is Patrick Holbert, and I've got my co-host who's sick or something over Tristan Smith. What's up, Tristan? Oh, I, I'm not sick anymore, but I well, I was. You sounded sick. Hacking just up, now. hacking up along. That sounded like you were having an emotional disorder. Ah. You're growling. Yep. Barking like a dog. I was bitten by a ro- ro- werewolf. I can tell. You haven't shaved that beard oh. in weeks. Did you trim your beard? What do you do? What do you do to maintain? Uh, Barbershop? I just uh, press my uh, face up against the subway as it's going by. That's that's a New York... See, that's how New Yorkers live. That's they save they, time. That's how fucking New Yorkers shave the beard over here. That's what they mean by uh, skin of his teeth. Yeah. That's how that's you brush right. your teeth, too. I With gotta the sneeze. Subway. Thank you. Woo! Patrick oh, Colbert sneezing. I'm on the allergic. Podcast. I'm allergic to talking subways. Allergic to bullshit. Uh, today, speaking of subways, we are we're sponsored today by the MTA. Uh huh. And uh, also your sister. Not anyone's in particular, but just your sister. Your sister. She, you know who she is. The comics table is brought she's to you by really, your sister. She's really helped us. Former ballerina. And uh, oh, it's also we're also brought to you by sound effects. Oh yeah, baby. I don't know. I don't know if people like the sound effects or not, you know, but I, I, I like uh, doing stupid the stuff. The reviews are coming in. People are yeah, saying they're entertaining. They're entertaining. A little okay. distracting. Uh, oh, excuse me. Sorry. Yeah. <coughs> oh, still sick. See, that cough, yeah. that cough sound effect sounds like my cough. Like, that sounds like a cough of... <coughs> like, listen. <coughs> really that good. Like you did. That was great. You do great. Did you do voice work for that cough? Yeah, I, did. I went to college for four and a half years to yeah. do voice work. This sounds like my toilet. I have an industrial strength. I can't believe uh, you industry. made that sound with your face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm the next Michael Winslow. Yeah, so anyway... I was just talking to somebody. That's what I did for my 21st birthday. I, I was in, live in Seattle. I went to a comedy club, and this was well before I had the balls to do comedy, and I saw Michael well, Winslow. Well, before you had balls. Uh, yeah, before they, before they dropped. Um, I, I, went and did, uh, I went and saw comedy at this little comedy club. It was Michael Winslow, the dude from... Spaceball. Police, police, Spaceball Police Academy. Um, huge the, fan. We got the bleeps, the creeps, and the sweeps. Yeah, he did. All, he he was amazing. Yeah. And uh, and I was always like, I like to do a lot of sound effects and shit when I was a kid. Yeah. And after I saw that show, I'm like, I'm not doing him anymore because he's somebody has already like, perfected like, it. Like beyond, beyond, beyond. Like yeah. there was like no way that like it was even achievable. Is he still with us? Fuck yeah. I'd like to see that He's live. Still kicking. I think that'd be fun to see live. It, doesn't that suck if you're like that talented and people are like, isn't he dead? Yeah. I don't know. It is. I mean, it was, you know, the big the big time for Michael was back in the 80s, obviously. So that's But you're so good at time. Why don't you do sound effects on stage? Um, I don't know. Do, it's me, the same reason that people are like, uh, you ever done it? And then people do act outs and other things like that. I don't know. Give me give me some like machinery sounds. Speaking of machinery, we should turn off the I, AC. Or do oh, we yeah. leave it on now that it's on? I guess we leave it on now. All right. There's a little AC in the background. Yeah. If you hear that wind tunnel, go fuck yourself and relax. Let us have a loose podcast. I do a Sean Connery impression from uh, the, the Rock. The That's movie, not a the sound rock. effect. I know, but it's... That's an impression. Losers always whine about their best. That's Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. That's very good. Thank you. Uh, how about give me some like robotic sound effects? Mm-hmm. It's really good. You should be doing more of this on stage. <laughs> oh, I or, or there's the guitar, which is sort of like the robot, which yeah. is like it's like running through several pedals of effects. 
Well, that's the thing. So Mike Wizzle did, you know, he does the whole Jimi Hendrix, uh, like Woodstock uh, National, National Anthem. Anthem, and it's fucking perfect. It sounds exactly like the recording. And then like he does Jimmy Page and Robert Plant, uh, Robert Plant Circle singing, jerk. and Jimmy Page uh, playing the guitar, like, perfectly. It was wow. amazing. Yeah. At some point, you're like, this can't even be real anymore. Uh, when we introduce our guests, maybe we circle back to this. Maybe we find this bit on YouTube or something. Maybe. That might be fun. God, to actually play something that we're talking about? We've done that a couple times. Whoa. Uh, yeah, do that. Do the. Yeah, but oh, that's, yeah. it's not as good if you play because you're not seeing the guy do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just okay. sounds like you could. sounds like right. you're just playing. Well, here's a homework assignment for listeners at home, including you, Mom. Look up Michael Winslow, uh, National Anthem, Jimi Hendrix. 1998 when Tristan turned 21. <laughs> was that 98? When did you turn 20? Oh, yeah. You oh. don't talk about your age. Oh, who cares? Who does care? Who does care? Anyway, you ready to get this episode going? I mean, from sounding good, you shiny. That was not that was not a sound effect. That was that was Tristan being an old man. That's me my, being my actual age. It's just, I like the, what I actually sound like. I kind of picture you waking up in the morning speaking like that. And throughout yeah. the day, you, you Benjamin Button right, each I, day. At so, the end of the day, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do a baby right now. Can you do a baby? Can you do a baby cry? That's pretty good. That sounded like a duck or something. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> All, All right, guys. Who do we have today on the podcast, today, Patrick? I am so excited to have Gastor, Gastor Almonte. Almonte. Yo, what's up? How you Welcome. doing, man? Chinchilla, man. I'm always good. How y'all? Oh, good, good. good. So I mean, glad you're here. Slightly mentally imbalanced, as you could tell. <laughs> I just that was had awesome. a, yeah. I just had a show with you last week where the MC said, "How do you say your name?" And it's the first time I heard you say this to someone. It's gas store, like a store that sells gas. Yeah, I got I got to break it down phonetically. Yeah, it helps. I can't even imagine, man. People fuck up Tristan. Like <sighs> I've been called I've been called Trit and Chris Trent. Tor- I I did have a guy that called me. Tritton for like two years. He knew me for two years, and, and I would type in the email Tristan, like like caps, <laughs> capitalize the S, and he would still be like, "Okay, thanks, Tritton." Like every, he would type it out that way. You know, it was kind of funny before uh, we were setting up for the podcast, uh, and Mark Normand came in fifteen minutes early, and I said, "Sorry, we're not set up yet." He left, and he said, "Well, as on his way out, he said, is it just you and me?'" And I was like, "No, it'll be me, you, and Tristan." And he left, and then when he came back. Uh, I was like, yeah, we're ready for you. And he was like, oh, is she here? <laughs> uh, he thought you were a lady. Well, that's... Which you are. Yeah. Are there female Tristans? Tristan? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah. I always... I only knew... It was originally a boy's name, but now it's it's become ubiquitously used both ways. So... Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's a boy name from Shakespeare, right? Um, actually, I don't know what the origin is. Because everybody thinks... Like, some people like, oh, it's Irish. It's like Celtic. Some people yeah. like it's Latin. Some okay. people are like it's Germanic, like Tristan. Uh, See, I only know it's for like athletes, like Tristan Thomas. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like Hardaway. Like, it's I've never met a, one that doesn't play. It was very unique when I was a kid, and now it's becoming pretty damn common. I will never, ever share that experience. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. Always Gastor, be the no. Only yeah, one. not a whole. Well, is it a Hispanic? No, name? no. Um, I think I, t- I don't know if I told you before. It's a spelling accident. Uh, my father's gas store. Um, there's like a calendar in the Dominican Republic where if you're born on that day, there's a boy and a girl name. And every one of my uncles has uh, or aunts has a name from that calendar. My grandma did not want to follow this anymore. So she made my grandfather write it out who does not know how to write. And he misspelled Gaston when he named my dad. I was going to say, oh, that's, what I, 
I was like, the more like I would I would expect to hear like a Gaston, but not, right, yeah, that's the real name. That's what it should have been when they named my dad. And then my dad said, you know, yeah, fuck but that's you, cool though because try. you got something unique. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, well, that's what I'm interested in though. Why are Dominicans naming people with French names? I don't know. I know the island, you know, had there's French on the other side, so there's mm. French people there. Oh yeah, Haiti is on. Yeah, the, it's there. Yeah. So you know, it and does last happen. Name, last name's Almonte. Yeah. And uh, where, do, where, where does that come from? Um, almost every Spanish na- last name has to do with like some type of like uh, mission or journey that describes like people. So Almonte being like to the mountains. Oh. Um, it's actually how I uh, motivate my kids when they go to bed at night. Like uh, I tell them, um, what, what's your last name? And they all they both say Almonte. When I'm like, what does that mean? They say to the mountains. I'm like, exactly. So we get shit done. So, yeah, that's I'm going to use the same thing with my children in the future. Uh, what's your last name? Smith. What does that mean? Uh, boring white person. <laughs> yeah. uh, I go, love, go the fuck to sleep. I love the idea of you being like a motivational speaker, dad. Like, <laughs> like dads are usually like just like do as I say, not as I do or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you're like really trying to motivate them from a place of uh, realness. Does well, that work? I'm not sure yet. I feel like my dad was deaf more of the traditional approach, probably to an extreme. So I'm trying to balance that. And I feel like my nature is still to do that, but I think they need some like hugs and shit. So yeah. it's it's important. I met Gastor's dad. Gastor had me over to his house to record his podcast, <laughs> Stoops to Stages podcast, yes, excellent indeed. podcast. Uh his dad was out back uh doing yard work with a machete, just a huge knife, <laughs> chopping down weeds. Uh, this man has worked hard his whole life. Yeah. What is he, 70? Uh, nah, he's like 60 now. So I explain, uh, I tell my dad this. He's, I'm like, you know, Patrick got scared. You had a machete back here in the backyard doing yard work. <laughs> he's like, that's my car knife. I'm like, you have a car <laughs> knife? Like, what the fuck's a car knife? But yeah. <laughs> and then you shake your hands. You have very soft yeah, hands. You're I've, not I've out there. That shit. Yeah, that's not me at all. <laughs> I haven't done none of that. Yeah. I've pointed at people to get things is done. Is your dad like ripped? No, no, he used to be, but yeah. not anymore. Now he's definitely like old man, chubby swag. Mm-hmm. He has Presidentes every night to drink. He lives good. Yeah. Oh, I loved Presidentes. I used to drink those in college with Marcos Diaz from Corona, Queens. Nice. Uh, and we would, I would get drunk and just speak. Uh, sp- I loved speaking Spanish in my limited drunken way. Uh, and we would – El Presidente just felt – it felt like I was a part of something yeah. uh, interesting. Uh, it was important, you know? Yeah. You get like promoted when you drink it and shit. It's cool. Yeah, I, I've never, you know, that's I've never been able to have like a, like like be a cool beer drinker. Yeah, so I don't. I've never loved the taste of beer. That yeah, actually, you're a cool whiskey drinker. I'm a cool whiskey. Okay, drinker. Yeah, okay. I drink whiskey or bourbon. You know, yeah. I like I like a Maker's on the rocks. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I'll at late at night after shows I will. I will continue a conversation with you so I can just smell the whiskey coming Is that out right? of your pores. Yeah, oh, fucking, man. I love. So you that do smell. like speakeasies and shit. Speakeasies, yeah, like what they call. I think that's the word. Yeah, 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 those exist, like secret uh, bars. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hipster enough to enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. I figured that's Why where not? you find that shit. I don't know. Hell yeah, I literally no, no, found make, out about this makers, last week. You can find so it, any kind of shitty bar. Um, it's either that or like Bullet is the new like Bullet's like the new top shelf bourbon for like a like a like a hole in the wall bar. Okay, uh, but yeah, it's like I, I like a Maker's. It's kind of vanilla vanilla overtones. Mm. Yeah. So Gastor, uh, we know, we know. Patrick's like changing. Well, we keep talking about booze. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like I'll be relapsing within three hours. Yeah. Like this sounds delicious. Uh, Gastor, we met on Steve Martin's show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the stand before the standing room before 
Steve yeah. Martin. Was it? Or it was Steve still Martin. It was Martin. Steve Martin. Yeah, he's uh, it, he used to host a show. It was still the Laughing Devil. I think Laughing back Devil. Then. Yeah, yeah. And I that was uh, that was such a fun show. I remember feeling very funny on that show for one of my first times ever. You know when you're on stage and you feel funny. No, and it never. <laughs> <laughs> but you had like this great group of friends, and we ended up bullshitting. We got to know each other. We ended up doing that podcast. And every time I think of you, I just think of like this aura of love and community <laughs> yet with this like sort of edge to it because uh, where are you that's is that east new york where you're from yeah i'm from east new york brooklyn um and this is that that's a big part of what i'm trying to do like uh just in general i i, I don't think there's a lot of people that rep that area yeah that are in the arts so when i say that i'm doing something as you see like a lot of people tend to come out and show love yeah yeah and and you how many kids do you have i got two your family man. What yeah, are their man. ages? Uh, my son is seven. My daughter's eight. And your wife, I've met her a couple times. I forget her name. Gabby. Gabby. She's amazing. Yeah, like it's like what, doing a show with Gastor feels like. Uh, it's very funny. Obviously, it's always a good time, but it also feels wholesome. It feels like a family <laughs> reunion or something. Uh, well, you I know, don't know if that's is, a cultural uh, thing or w- what it is. But not not, not to delve into the uh, the comedy stuff too early. But one thing that this is a good opportunity for, I think, is I'm, you know, we meet, meet a lot of different comedians and yeah. most of them are just kind of freewheeling, free dealing individuals. Um, but it's unique to meet somebody that's like a family man who's got, you know, a wife and kids. Yeah. Do, do you have a day job or? Um, I actually just gave my notice. So uh, my last day will be in two weeks. Uh-huh. Congratulations. Um, thank yeah, you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, just uh, up until this whole time, I've always had a day job. What were um, you doing? Uh, right now, I was a sales manager at a furniture store. Okay. Prior to that, I was a sales so manager. So, are you going full time comedy now? Yeah, I want to see what that's like. See if I could like really make that push. So, how know? how how does somebody make the make that work with the well, demands gonna, of a he's family? He's going to be yeah. modest, so I'm going to yeah. cut in and say Gastor had his huge TV debut this year on Ari Shafir's "This Is Not Happening." Thank you. Yeah, you told an amazing story on that. That I got to see you workshop a couple times yeah. before. The sh- that's so cool. Uh, so yeah, like you've got TV exposure now. Yeah. And uh, that, that's really it. I want to kind of leverage it. Um, I got on that show kind of being Frank by luck. I felt like a lot of other people recommended me for it. Um, and I got a lot more spots this whole year and I still had to turn down shit cause I had a job. So, uh, thankfully I booked it again, um, for this coming season. So I want to kind of better leverage it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an awesome achievement. Um, but there was like a process for you to get there, right? Hell yeah, hell and, yeah. And 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 I mean, were you doing comedy before you had kids, or did you already have kids when you started? No, um, actually, uh, so when I was working at a uh, PepsiCo, I was a sales manager there. When I got promoted to that role, I was worried about having to do like these huge presentations in front of like you know Rite Aid district managers and shit. This is like so, corporate level yeah. PepsiCo. And from prior to that, I was literally a street salesperson, so I'd be like on a truck and shit. Mm-hmm. So my concern was that I wouldn't be able to do that. So like I read an article that a bunch of Inc. CEOs, uh, Inc. Magazine CEOs, like took stand up to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I took a class at Gotham just to get better at presenting. Um, and when I, was that? This is uh, five years ago this uh, past summer. Oh, wow. Okay. So the only set that I performed there was at the graduation class. Um, and at that show, um, me and my cousin, who also took the class, you know, we packed the house, kind of like how Patrick sees. So I don't know all of my cousin's boys, but he's also from, like, the hood. He's from Bushwick at the time, although it's not anymore. And uh, this uh, this black dude comes up to me, gives me a pound. I'm thinking it's one of his friends. Um, and he's like, yo, that was real dope. You should do this full time. 
Um, then we leave to the bar next door, and he purposely comes to see me to talk to me for an hour. It turns out it's Roy Wood Jr., um, and he's like, yo, I don't care what the fuck you do. This needs to be your job. Mm. So, like, I took that to heart. And just, that was your first big show? That was my first show, period. A headliner yeah. came up to you and said that. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be uh, horribly depressing for some of our listeners. Yeah. Who, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I'm six years in and uh, no one wants to talk <laughs> to my face. What was your first set like? Because you, you're... I mean, I, I know comics hate to be pigeonholed, but I think of you as a storyteller. With, yeah, definitely. And your stories have tons of punchlines, uh, but they're, they're story like. If That's you, a really hard thing. To, like, a lot of people want to do that straight off. Yeah. But it's really hard to do because with, they don't know how to pepper it with, with enough. It's funny because I've had the opposite problem. Yeah. I'm starting to now learn how to do more one-liners. I've yeah. always been more story-centric. Yeah. Um, I had to learn not to because... Uh, uh, I feel like initially, especially at a show that doesn't know you, you have to kind of earn the right to do a story mm -hmm. um, in a set. Uh, so I've learned to do like more one-liner things until I can earn the right to do a story. Uh, but yeah, all of the stuff I've done has been story-centric the whole time. What was that first set like? Though? Was it a story? Uh, it was uh, three little stories. Uh -huh. So uh, still story-centric. Um, it was like uh, two, maybe three-minute stories and like a four to five-minute one yeah. at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so much of like you, you, yeah, like representing East New York is so interesting because like you go to an open mic in New York City, you hear a, a lot of hipsters making gentrification jokes. I have a couple uh, right. that I feel like such a hack when I make them, but like you know whatever. Uh, but you're like you've you've been around, you grew up in this city, uh, and seeing all of that stuff happen. Uh, do you feel? Do, do you have a good time playing with those ideas and sharing like where you're from? Uh, to kind of like, I don't know, educate all these other people? Yeah, um, being frank, that's like kind of like my whole idea with doing this. Um, I fully want to bring awareness to the community that I'm from. Um, I want more people to kind of be aware of the fact that there's talent there. Um, so that when, you know, this keeps happening, like uh, the I know the mayor's committed to investing a shit ton of money into my neighborhood. Um, I want them to know that there's people of value that are already there. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry to get like real, real deep and no, shit no, in the comedy yeah, joint, but yeah. I do. I do want to touch again on the point of like, you you started doing this when you when you had kids, right? Right. Yeah. So like, what, how, like, what kind of process did you go through to be able to get up and do the kind of work that you need to do to get better as a comic while still having all those responsibilities? Yeah. So um, being real Trishan, I got like a an, an advantage over most comics. Um, my dad's like real industrious. Um, we own like property. Um. Mm -hmm. And he kind of made me buy a house early on. So uh, when I started doing stand-up, I had already purchased my second home. I got tenants. So I do have an advantage that, you know, I have rental income coming in. That's great. So uh, as I mentioned, when I was working at PepsiCo, it was going great in terms yeah. of money. Um, but being frank, I was depressed towards the end of it. I hated the hours that was uh, being requested of me. And uh, it kept me from my family and kids. And uh, this is about a year and a half after I did that initial show yeah. for uh, and were class. You, but were you continuing to do stuff? And I that? wasn't at this time. So okay. I just did this class show. It was fun. It helped me uh, prep better for these yeah. talks. And I stopped doing it. Um, so I'm getting really good money, but I'm depressed at the job. Yeah. So um, I had a heart to heart with my wife. Um, I talked to my dad, who I partners with on so many of the other properties. And um, he they, I told him very directly, I was like, I'm not happy. I'm depressed. I'm, I'm not where I want to be as a person. Um, and I think it's affecting me as a dad. Uh, so my wife asked me during the convo. I don't think she expected it as an answer, but she asked me, when was the last time you were happy? And I said, honestly, at this show I did a year and a half ago. So she said, drop everything and do that. Yeah. 
Um, and I don't think she quite uh, thought I'd knew go that, there yeah, yeah. or knew that. But um, I sat on that for the day and I said, that's I honestly think that's a dope idea. Can I do that? Um, and she sat on that for a bit. But she said, no, I think that's a good look. Um, and that's kind of what I devoted a year to my time was just doing shows, doing open mics. That's kind of when I were met you working Patrick. during that time. Or were you just um, working? On I that? Le- I resigned from my job and uh-huh. I spent the year doing nothing but comedy and controlling the houses. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then uh, from there, I went back to work uh, just to get some stability and yeah, yeah. Uh, some structure. There wasn't Obamacare yet, so I needed the health insurance. Right. Um, and uh, from there, uh, thankfully, uh, my friend who's a manager at the job that I had now. Um, he was kind of uh, able to balance out my schedule with uh, what I was trying to work on. And little by little, I've still gotten promoted there until the point where I'm a manager again. Um, but I was also able to keep this flexibility. Uh, but this past year, as I said, it's kind of still getting so away. Yeah. And you got to keep it open for that. Yeah. So I appreciate it. But I that's, do want to kind of gamble amazing place on this. To be, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. feel like and at worst, I still got, you know, I don't got to pay rent. So I figured, you know, I got to leverage that while I can. Yeah. You yeah, I mean? it, so much of this comes down to logistics. Like, how do you how do you fit how do you fit the mics and the shows into the day, and how do you afford to to invest so much time into it? How do you see your kids? How do you see your wife? How do you? It's like it's we're, we're splitting we're spinning plates. You know, like there's like six or seven plates that we got to keep moving yeah. at all times. Uh, and like, it's really challenging. I accepted a long time ago when I started doing this that I can never have all three perfect. Mm. So instead of trying to keep all three perfect, I make one perfect for like three months Mm -hmm. and then I move to the other to give it like because and I told my wife this like, look, I'm going to be a C-level husband (laughs) for like eight months out the year. But I'm aware of that. I'm aware that you're sacrificing while I crush it at these shows and then maybe while I crush it with dad in terms of making sure that the houses are running so that I could pay for everything. And then in turn for four months, I'm the fucking man at home. I, I do a ton of activities with the kids, usually focused around the summertime. I'll do like date night twice a week during that time because I want her to know I care about you and I want to give you that time, but I can't do it all year. Um, especially now with this gamble, um, I'm like, you know, for this to work, you need to be aware that uh, for a certain amount of time, I need to put this first in order for this sacrifice to make sense, not just for me, but for her. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like you're now entering harvest season where you got to work really hard at, you know, uh, what are the words for crops? Uh, sowing, <laughs> sowing seeds or, uh, you know, yeah. har- harvesting the crop. Sowing jizz. Yeah, you're sowing jizz, you're cleaning up, you're mopping. Uh, you're being the best comic you can be. The taping last year helped a lot with that. Uh, yeah. When I went to the first taping for uh, This Is Not Happening, I was so nervous I convinced her to let me go alone. I literally spent four days in a hotel just rehearsing. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see L.A. at all. I had no idea what it was like. It was a hotel to me. That was um, your, first, your first time to L.A. was to tape for Comedy tape Central. Tape for Comedy Central, and I didn't go out at all. I You're literally... the miracle of East New York. It's amazing. <laughs> so I go there. I do this taping. I stay in the room. Um, the next time when I got booked, um, I wanted to kind of bring her along. She hadn't gone and she's, uh, she's from Costa Rica. So she's so you shot the second episode already. Yeah, it's oh, already cool. shot. It's in, um, should be this winter. Um, but yeah, I wanted her to kind of experience it. And that kind of made it real for her too. Like yeah. she kind of saw, oh, shit, this is happening. Um, right. not, you know, which is super important, right? Because she needs to have that kind of faith. Yeah. yeah. I need to buy in being yeah. frank. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was huge for me to see her see that. Has yeah. it come close for you too? Like, did it ever come close to her being like, "Good luck with your dreams," but I'm gonna go. Like, did, has that stuff ever come up for you guys? Um, it's been a discussion where she would, uh, she would uh, talk to me about how serious I was about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she's ever asked me not to do it. Um, and I think that whenever I requested more, there was something that I could physically show her 
that, hey, this warrants this commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, by the same token, my parents are anti this completely. Really? Yeah. Um, my mom. They're anti? Yeah. They, they're not uh, into the idea of me being a comedian. Oh, wow. um, my mom is happy that I'm happy again. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, she sees the difference in terms of how I behave with her. Um, I got teenage siblings that they're the parents of as well. And they see how much more I'm involved in their lives. And they like that. Um, but in turn, um, they have actively seen the success that working hard has given them. Like they own seven, eight properties in East New York. Um, they live very comfortably, at least in terms of the people in that area. And they kind of were starting to outline that same kind of setup for me. And it would have been even earlier because I kind of had their, you know, blueprint to follow. So, you know, yeah, I, I admire the shit out of that, especially since I'm like the antithesis of that. Cause, <laughs> I mean, like I grew up in a in a in a. Like, my dad's side of the family, like, we weren't really, like, too connected because my dad, like, eh, he was abusive and to my mom and shit. And he disappeared when I was four, moved to Vegas. And I would see him, like, every summer or something like that. Like, I actually flew to Vegas when I was seven to, like, see him because he lived there. Um, it, wasn't a, it, wasn't a good, it wasn't a good situation, you know? Um, um, so there was that. But then on my mom's side, there, there was, you know, her whole side of the family – uh, they kind of do well, you know, they're comfortable, that kind of thing. But there was never like necessarily a good model to me on like how, how to be or how yeah. to be that. And my mom didn't ever really subscribe to what her family was doing necessarily in that way. So when I see people like that have families like you have where it's like we work really fucking hard. Here's an example of how to do it. This is what you should do. I mean, at the end of the day, like you have to decide like if that makes you feel fulfilled or not, like – it's great to live comfortably, but if you're living comfortably and your life feels empty, then that's not going to work, right? Yeah. But, but the fact that you have that kind of uh, work ethic kind of built in yeah. and that – and you do have something where you have like this kind of cushion of income that like maybe it's not like – maybe it's not like killing it in terms of like – Yeah, I'm oh, not yeah, balling. Right, like, right. I don't want to give but, that image. It's but just you, that. Can, you can do what you need to do. Yeah. You, know, you can handle whatever business you have to handle and – uh I you know I'm, I I admire that like you know I definitely do not have my shit together. Yeah, <laughs> just like, I mean I told man, it wasn't by choice. Like yeah. uh, like when I was uh, 21, I was working at UPS and yeah. I had like 15 grand saved, and I came home with uh all these uh freaking car dealerships, uh, Nissan Z. I was gonna cop a new one, and uh, my dad pulls me in his room and he's like, "Listen, you can buy whatever car you want, but if you buy that car, you have to leave my house by the end of the month." I'm like, why? He's like, well, I own five houses and I drive an old Camry. Mm. You pay nothing here but your cell phone. So if you buy that car, that's fine. But you can't buy a better car than me when I own houses and live in my house. So I get into like a huge fight with him. Um, I talk to my mom and she's like, listen, you know, hear him out. See what else he has to say. So the next day after like I calmed down a bit, I talked to him. I was like, what do, what do you want me to do? What the fuck am I supposed to do with this money? He said, let's buy a house together. And that's the first property we own. It's on picking out to this day. I still talk about it in my standup. Yeah. Um, but that's, and that's probably a good investment. Yeah. Now I yeah. love that shit. It's fucking dope. It brings yeah. me money. Um, but at the time I was pissed off. I, I went four years without actively seeing money come in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a, a huge turning point in my life. Um, and I got to see that firsthand. Um, so yeah, I'm super grateful for it. And in terms of the work ethic aspect of it, uh, he doesn't like that I do stand up, but he's starting to respect it because he sees that I approach it yeah. the same way we approach the houses. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he By sees the way, like the layouts nothing, and the calendars. There and is shit. very few things that are more stupid than people that are driving around their net worth. 
Right, like right. Every fucking dollar they've ever yeah. earned to drive around this fucking thing <laughs> could be just destroyed anymore, especially in New York. Oh, definitely. I have like I have like a shitty uh, Honda Civic. I had it parked in Queens. It got hit twice in one week. Right, right. So bad that they knocked the front of the car off. Right. And 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 also the cops don't give a shit. Like there were neighbors that saw the people do it and g- left a note with their license plate number, and the cops are like, "Well." You know, we didn't see it happen, so we can't use any of this information. It's like, give yeah. me a fucking break. Don't yeah. The yeah. last two cars I've had, or one was a Craigslist purchase, uh, and this m- recent one was from a used car dealership. But the city, it, it's, it's so brutal. On Did you, cars. like, uh, trade some anal for the car? Because that's what Craigslist. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Typically, it, those transactions, it, how they it go. Costs, uh, six, it was It was a $6,000 worth of anal nice. purchase. Yeah. I'm still paying it off. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the car no I'm longer really sure. yeah. the car no longer exists because I got rear-ended. So, yeah. Oh, no uh, no it comes back Boom. to yeah. Give me that uh, rim shot. Oh man, effect. I don't have the fucking things ready when I need it. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> talk about getting rear-ended. I thought I was going to get a rim shot. You uh, gave me a fucking rim go. job. Rim job. Ooh. Anal. Rear-ended. Man, I'm terrible with sound effects. I should not. I should leave them to you. No, you probably fine. do a lot better job. Fine, you're you're like a <laughs> that like a schizophrenic at the Hi. sound effect board. I know we we had another episode <laughs> with with a, with a comic on, and I was just like, I would I was just having fun with it, and he's just like, none, not one of these sound effects has been appropriate so far. Yeah, like not a single <laughs> one is applied to anything that we're talking about. It's very, uh, very. It's like going to the circus or something. A lot of, a lot of clowns in that clown yeah, car. Yeah, that's that's fair. It happens. It happens. Um, so, so you talk about applying your your work ethic to your your comedy. Like, how how would you? Uh, how does that how does that process work? Um, just uh, a lot of little things. Um, I think uh, communication is key. That I don't. I think a lot of comics uh, suffering. Um, I try to make sure that uh, I'm professional in everything that I send out. Uh, I make myself available. I what try do you to... send out? Like, what, what do you do? Sure. Uh, just little things in terms of how people communicate. I feel that uh, things that I learned from corporate, the, the way you late, the way you literally structure an email matters, I think. Um, just uh, I always want to show people that I'm not a 20-year-old kid in college when I'm prepping for a show or when I'm being considered for a show. Um and I think that comes off with the way you communicate to people. Um, also, uh, with the way you practice, I feel that open mics are important. Um, but I feel that it's important that whenever you perform to have an active thing you're working towards. Yeah. Um, and it should be for the day as well as towards a bigger goal for the week. And I don't think enough people do that. They just get into the habit of them doing, you know, 15 mics this week and two shows. Well, are we just talking about this with Mark? You know, he sees a lot at the open mics, like two things. Like one, you have comics that are, uh, just doing crowd work, like, hey, what are you doing? And like talking about like what's happening in the room and everything like that. So they're not really working on anything for the long term. And then in addition to that, you have people that have like that are that do have like a set and they have like five minutes, but they do the same set every time for that's like not working. That's and and, it, and it, it's not getting laughs or it's not doing super well. Right. I mean, I've actually seen where somebody has like a really nice set and. uh and then over and the course of a, yeah over the course of a year it just degrades and like just because they keep doing the same thing yeah and they lose all the clarity and they're not really punching anything up they're just doing the same stuff and to the point where they don't even believe any of it anymore right. so it's like none of it's it's not funny anymore yeah and it's not their truth anymore right um I think you need to constantly change it I think you need to constantly be working it um uh, speaking of that like at the last show that me and me and Pat just did. Uh, he mentioned uh, right after he went up, he's like, I hadn't done this material before. Um, it was fresh. It's something he had just written, but it's a show that was relatively big stakes for us. Um, 
but it felt important that he perform it because it was his current truth. Um, and it got a really good response, even though it wasn't uh, probably as tight as he'd want it to be because of the energy of how he performed it because he's excited about it. Yeah. Um, he got something really good from it. And in turn, he got to know that it works in that environment. I appreciate you saying that because I've been losing sleep for the last week since that show. I'm like, <laughs> God damn it. Why did I squander my first Caroline's appoint- uh, uh, appointment? My first appointment at Caroline's Comedy Club on uh, a new brand new story. Uh, uh, dude, the night after that, I had the set of my year, my favorite set I've had all year nice. at uh, the Lantern. And I did a lot of the same stuff, but it was a hot crowd, smaller room, and uh I've literally every day I've had this thought of like why couldn't I had that lantern set at Caroline's you know, the I, night the before? Caroline's, I so this is crazy. Like I, so you were saying like when you first started off, you took a you 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 took a class at Gotham, right? Yeah. So I did the same thing. Like when I first started, off, I took a, a class, but I took it at Caroline's. Okay. And uh, so my first set was at Caroline's. It did pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, the person who I took classes with, they liked me. And the, so they were like, oh, you keep coming back. So I would do the new talent there. For like the first year I was doing comedy, I was doing uh, Caroline's, which is like one of the bigger clubs in the city. Oh, yeah. And um, but, <laughs> but the funny thing with that is like I had no fucking idea what I was doing. And I'm sure I wasn't working. I wasn't doing enough like work on my material. So like I would have some – I ha- would have like – blood curdlingly awful bombs mm. there like i had one <laughs> set that like was dead silent for like five minutes so you could have heard a pin drop the entire time i could hear my heart beat in my ears like i thought i was gonna pass out like i got that fight or flight response where i'm like i gotta run like <laughs> yeah that was like yeah. you know like that's not hard that's not an easy room it's 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 really well lit. You it's can really, really well lit. Yeah. You could see you can see everybody, space. and even if there's a hundred people in there, it feels like it's light. Yeah, because yeah. it's such a big room. And the show Gastor and I did it was great. The room was almost full. It was more than half full, which yeah. is a lot for this that. Caroline for Caroline. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Michael, the headliner, was able to get a bunch of industry to come out and watch the show, and they were all immediately stage left. So you're on stage, and to your left, like eight feet away. Are these people? Th- am I saying this correctly? Do you did you get the sense that that's who they all were? On I, uh, the left? In part, yeah. I wasn't sure if it was that, uh, or if there were just like a lot of single females there to see Mike in general. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of beautiful older women. A no. few of them, I think, were executives from like TV channels or whatever. Yeah, uh, and they just weren't given a whole lot of love. You know, like yeah. at least I didn't perceive it. Right, uh, right. I mean, during his set, I think, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you could see, you could just see everybody's faces so well that yeah, I'm going into this story about this new weird. You could see every little life. every little piece of disinterest in yes. every person's face. Disinterest or uh, disgust or re- well, that was interesting. That's I don't know if you guys experienced this, but Caroline's because it is the kind of venue it is. Like time slows down yes. a lot more yeah. with sets there than any other place you go to because you can just see everything happen. It's it's almost just like. It's like being out in traffic and like yeah. seeing a car accident or something, you know. I, I mean, also, obviously you want a good experience, but you can yeah. see everything. I also don't like that the ceilings are so high there. Yeah. I feel like the laugh like dies yeah. a lot faster there than yeah. normal. Yeah. Um, so to your point, like it, it jumps out quicker when someone is disinterested or when you can see all their movements because right. the laugh just stops instantly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's one of your favorite rooms? Huh. 
You're, Definitely. By that. the way, while you think about it, we should just plug. You're at QED every Saturday, right? Yeah, pretty often. Pretty often I'm over there. Uh, just uh, all of you guys, uh, thankfully, are like, are like pretty awesome in terms of showing me love. So I'm there pretty regularly. Yeah. Uh, between your show, Freddie G's show. Are you still working on Freddie G's show? Um, Not actively. Uh, Just whenever Freddie uh, needs me to gotcha. come through. Yeah. Okay. I'm there like every like month or so with yeah. him in particular. Uh, Tracy also has a show there. A lot of so. people don't know. Freddie G is the gingeriest Jew <laughs> yeah, yeah. of all time. And he's a really funny dude. He yeah. killed at Caroline. Yeah, like, I thought he had a like, great set. He had like fucking eight laughs a minute or something for 15 minutes. He was great. Yeah. Like that. that I, haven't, I haven't seen his set in probably like a year. That's what's amazing about this job is yeah. like you see people progress so quickly. And it's so cool slash... Uh, uh, it's a mind fuck sometimes when you see somebody just like crushing it that you didn't expect to be crushing it so soon. Freddie, uh, Freddie, when I first met Freddie, we all know Freddie. Yeah. He works. He's a, he's a weird dude. You yeah, know? But yeah, but but that, that weird does weird does well. It does so well, yeah. and he has found how to do it. Like yeah. my friends came to the show, and uh, one of them was like just losing it over when he sort of does his aside when he like narrates what he's doing yeah uh she was she thought that was funnier than his actual jokes she loved his jokes too but like she was so taken by that weird thing he does uh talking under his breath and narrating what's happening that it was uh it was just really fun to watch and that's uh, really him like yeah that, like yeah. those of us to know him that's actually freddie that's why yeah. i'm so happy that He's embraced that because yeah. that's him yeah. to the T. He'll say something, but he's always he always has a deeper inner monologue that we're not always a part of. Yeah, yeah. he's hysterical. But I think that's right. That's the core of it, right? Like if you are the kind of person that can get up on stage and be the person that you are. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's so easy to just put on a front or some kind of a character of yeah. yourself, you know, um, and then uh, it just, just doesn't have the same resonance. Uh, but when you but when you have something that's kind of totally aligned with who you are, like it really, you know, it's just fun. It's just naturally funny, right? Right. Because yeah. I mean, there's, that's the other thing we're talking about before. Like truth, <clears throat> truth is funny. Like honesty is funny. Um, a lot of times, the things that people are laughing at are like the truth in what you're saying, even if you're saying something that's not true. But it's 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 like kind of finding in something that they can identify with as a truth. No. And uh, so I think like when you have the additional resonance of like. I'm doing this as the person that I am. It just really enhances everything. Yeah. yeah. No, I dig that. Um, to your earlier question, the reason I was struggling with that is because this whole past year, I spent so much more time focused on stories. Mm -hmm. And the room scene there is completely different than it is in stand-up. Mm -hmm. So, so the, instead of being like, this room is good, it depends on who's promoting the show the room changes completely because mm -hmm. the same room will be hosted by like six or seven different uh storytelling shows mm -hmm. and it feels completely different um yeah who are your favorite uh what what are some of those storytelling shows sure um like the liar show at uh cornelia street cafe is awesome uh -huh. um andy christie's done an awesome job there you got like four people telling a story one of them's lying and the audience gets to actively interrogate them afterward yeah to figure out the bser uh Robin's show, uh, uh, Yum's the Word. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's also real dope. That's um, Le Poisson Rouge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Never could pronounce that, by the way. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like those are dope. Uh, obviously, uh, the Bell House is real dope whenever like the moth is there. Have you gone up uh, at the um, Bell House? I have not, I've gone up at the Bell House, not for the moth. I went up yeah. there for Ari's show. 
Cool. Um, he had like a Brooklyn uh, like pre-taping like practice type run. Nice. Um, so yeah, we did it there, uh, and that went pretty well as well. How did you get involved with Ari in the first place? Sure. Um, most of like I, like Patrick said, most of my stand-up is real story centric, um, and. Uh, Jeff uh, Zimmerman spotted me uh, doing a particular story, asked me to do his show. And at that show, uh, a ton of the comics, and particularly uh, Janelle James, um, told me that this would be perfect for this show. Um, So I spent that whole next year kind of uh, prepping for hopefully that next opening because I I felt that it was – it it, it felt like an overwhelming amount of comics felt that I was in that wheelhouse already. so when um, they were recruiting for season three, um, Ari posted that he needed more uh, minorities and women for his next season. And being and, a beautiful woman, yeah, you applied. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, just literally like 10 comics sent it my way and asked me to apply. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it went through. Nice. Perfect timing. You were you were prepared for the opportunity. Yeah, I had a really good set that I, I had like three stories that I felt real good about. I had really good tape for them. Um, and yeah, they got to see that happen, so... Worked out well for me. That's great, man. Uh, what are do you do you go to storytelling mics a lot? Um, mics not as much anymore. Um, I'm starting to do more stand up mics just because I said I'm working actively yeah. on uh, the actual lines. Whereas I feel like in storytelling right now, um, I'm kind of at like the highest point you can be in New York. Yeah. Um, so like in that scene, I can pretty much get any show I need to get on yeah. at this point, yeah. which is pretty cool. Um, so like there's smaller shows that I'll use to work on something now. Yeah. Uh, kind of like, you know, like Louis goes to the cellar right. and he's working shit. Whereas we're like, oh my God, it's the, your tightest yeah. 15 or whatever. Um, so that's kind of how I'm treating the storytelling shows now. Yeah. Shout out to Jeff Zimmerman, by the way, I've taken his workshop. Great storyteller, great storytelling instructor, uh, really smart guy. Yeah. He, Helped uh, me a ton on, on the uh, show that I did for. Uh, yeah, the, this is not happening, Taven. Yeah, and he's got a lot of love for you. He came out to Carolines to support. Um, he gave me this amazing, like, comics. I, it's interesting. Comedy's interesting because some comics, uh, they're like, no, I do stand up. I don't do storytelling. I think if you want to be a headlining comic, you got to have one or two stories, right? Hell yeah, hell yeah. Uh, he he's got this great way of like finding the funny in a story and helping you with overall structure from like a. Full on uh, mythological literary kind of perspective. Like I have this story about when I was a kid, I got the, a porno tape stuck in the family VCR, and I thought this story was about porn and shame and blah 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 blah. Uh, and it's really become this really touching story about my relationship with my dad that Jeff got me to come around to. By using a metaphor about RoboCop. <laughs> He's like, the story you're working on is actually a lot like the movie RoboCop. And he sat down and he like diagrammed it on a piece of paper. Yeah. And I still have that piece of paper. The story's not done. It's one of those things. And I'm curious about how you work. Are you just like, are there certain ideas that you begin? It's like it's like a crock pot recipe. Like you throw all the ingredients in a crock pot and you put it on like low simmer. And it just sits there for like three years. Yeah. And you like taste it. You add some salt. You add some pepper. You check on it again in a few hours. And then like next thing you know, you've got a banging meal. Or your kitchen's on fire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that story, I haven't done it on stage in over a year, but like. I know it's there and it's ready to be like integrated into a longer set anytime I need it. Um, 
I just made a whole bunch of points in there. But like, <laughs> I guess overall, the general value of storytelling in stand-up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. How, how, what do you think about Jeff? Did he help you punch stuff up? Jeff helped me a ton because um, up until that point, um, as you noticed, a lot of my stand-up was story-centric. And um, I had really good stories. I just didn't know why they were good. I just knew that they worked. Um, and he helped me see why they were working by showing me kind of what you were talking about, mm -hmm. uh, the format to follow, to make a story funny and to find the funny in them. I was doing that instinctively. And now he showed me how to repeat it. Yeah. Um, I, Quick question. Yeah, Sorry please. to interrupt. But like when you're in high school, in the lunchroom, things like that, were you telling stories? Yeah. And were that's kind of what I was, was going to get into. So um, in my family, uh, every Sunday for my whole life until I was about like 25, we went to my grandma's house. Uh, all the women cooked dinner, did their hair. And Dominican women takes like 12 hours to do that shit. Yeah. And all the kids would play while all the guys would go to the back, grill, drink beer, and talk shit. And the only way I was allowed to be in the guy's circle is if my story was funny enough mm. to stay with the men. So I was always telling stories with them. Mm -hmm. And I was always seeing what my dad did, who's an awesome storyteller, what my uncles did, uh, Boston in particular, awesome storyteller. And I learned from them how to do that. And I felt like I was always workshopping there. Um, to this day, um, every story that I've told on stage is a story that I've told with my friends first. Maybe that's a way to win your parents over is you uh – Gonna be like, look, I am kind of doing the family tradition. I'm just doing it in this way, yeah. and, and that's what's getting my dad on board. Uh, he saw an interview I did where, uh, before that conversation, uh, before the most recent convo, where he actively told me he didn't like what I was doing, uh, he uh, saw it, and uh, I specifically said that I'm doing what he always did, and that kind of like uh, get give him a little like tearjerker there. Yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be like a. It's like a. Per perpetual like thematic thing that all men will face all men with children or men who are f children of fathers uh it's always about your relationship with your dad in some yeah. way you know i i'm i fully admit i want his approval i've yeah. never gotten it in my opinion yeah um by the same token i think if i asked him he thinks that he always gives it to yes. me and he would say that he gives me more than his dad gave him. Right. And right. I'm sure that I'm trying to do more of that for my son. And I'm sure he actively feels the same way. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's something that will always repeat. I'm yeah. always sensitive on dad issues, you know, because like since my dad wasn't around a lot of the time and I had a stepdad like from like seven, seven on. Yeah. But he was really tough uh, on us to begin with. Like now he's like I get along with him better than just about anybody. But Is that like, who I met? Did I meet your dad or think, your stepdad? I think you met them both. Mm. Anyway, um, ponytail. Oh, that's my dad. Okay. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the mullet. That's my dad. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, like my stuff was just tough on us because I think uh, he didn't really know how to deal with us. I'm sure there was a level where he reminded us of of uh, you know my dad who they used to be friends yeah. and then obviously no shit yeah like they were they played in bands and shit together oh, back in the day shit. Oh, that's life. the ultimate yeah. betrayal for oh, bandmates shit. yeah man so um in any case like so yeah i was like super always super sensitive all the dad shit you know you you watch field of dreams and yeah. you know like just shit, anything like that would just kill me yeah yeah <laughs> like you know like uh yeah my dad he he's never said the phrase i'm really proud of you Ditto. Uh, and that's that's all I'd like to hear. Yeah. Uh, but I, for whatever reason, I think dads just don't know how to find the words. They probably have the feeling. He probably yeah. definitely has the feeling. He's a, he's a he's a very 
he he can be very sweet. Yeah. I rarely see it, but I've seen him be sweet with other people and uh you know, it's just I think it's hard for him to make certain emotional connections or have emotional language cra- for things. Yeah. Men I think sometimes have difficulty expressing the feelings and it's crazy how how deep that can go and how much yeah how much you're looking for the approval yeah. it doesn't matter like what the relationship is yeah. uh, just to make it slightly more depressing um <laughs> my dad's dad was like this crazy abusive alcoholic like, uh-huh. he basically died because he he was drinking so much it just like i think it i think he got cirrhosis and mm-hmm. like led to cancer and like all this kind of stuff yeah but anyway like my uncle i had an uncle i still have an uncle and he like him, like my dad, like my dad had like three, had has three brothers. And I think there was like a level of like, depending on where they were in the line, like the lineup, they like, some of them wanted the dad's approval more than others were like, you know, it depends on how crazy he was with them. Right. And my, and my one uncle, he like, after my grandfather died, like he was like, I, I think there, there was probably a mental process there that was like, I'm never going to get the approval that I have like one of my whole life. So he like drove himself to some, like public to some kind of like uh like like forced somewhere is this a suicide yeah, story yeah Jesus yeah he, he, he shot himself but he didn't die he like lodged a bullet like in his spine your grandfather no my my uncle god i'm so, so sorry so he's been living in like a wheelchair like the rest of his life but that Did he go through the chest it went through his he shot himself like in the stomach that's not the spot dude and it, i know and it but I, you know it's like how much did did, did you actually want it? Right. You know? But, well, it, but did he it, then get a? Did that get him the approval he sought? No, because it, it he never will. Because his dad was dead. Well, like his dad that's, was already that's why, dead. That's why. Yeah. That's why he. I think that, that he was just like, there's no point to life. Yeah. Maybe I think that's oh, part God. of it or whatever. You know, like how I shouldn't be talking about it. That's, okay. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's really dark. sad. But it's like when I, this is the thing. It's like I, 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 I. Welcome I, to the comics yeah. table. Yeah. Well, on my mom's guns. side, there was like a lot of great family <laughs> and stuff like that. But like what you're talking about, like Gaston, where you have like this family that seems so tight, like from from top to bottom, like and yeah. it's, and it's and everybody's kind of very family driven, and that's like, and and I'm sure on some some level it can be like overbearing, but on the other level, it's like you've got that kind of. No, definite. You know, I mean, even if they don't approve what you're doing, I'm sure you, st- you know, like at times, I'm sure you still have like this support, right? Yeah, like I, they still have my back. They still want me to do well. Yeah. They just think that I would do better doing something else. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to make one uh, more quick thing back to dads or general approval validation issues. Think of it this way. We're going to edit all that shit out I said. I, we <laughs> <laughs> well, think of it this way. If we didn't have this sick desire to be approved of by family members or, or whatever or be validated, uh, maybe we, the three of us all might be managers at PepsiCo. There you go. You know? So I really think uh, a desire to... Uh, hear the phrase "I'm proud of you" is what keeps me going to a couple open mics a night. Amen. You know? What what I told my dad is, uh, him coming to this country and buying houses, I'm sure sounded very crazy to his farm owning father, who mm. was also very successful. Where, where was he from originally? Uh, Dominican Republic. Right. Okay. He came over right. here, uh, finished high school here, learned English, um, bought houses, and literally learned how to do that. Do you have a bunch of extended that. family still there? I do, but uh, truthfully, I'm not as tight with them anymore. Right, right, I have right. maybe one or two cousins that I'm still real cool with over there. Uh, most of them have come over. Um, but I felt that when he did that, uh, what he was doing is he was actively acknowledging that his father uh, busted his ass and gave him a safety net. And if everything goes wrong, 
because he was 20, 30 when he did that gamble, he can still go back, say, you know what, Dad, this didn't work. I'm going to go to the plan that you set in place. But if this works, I can take our family to a new place where yeah. we can't go. And I feel like that's my job with this. Uh, I'm pursuing this because I feel that I can uh, share stories that people haven't actively seen, A. Um, but B, being frank, there are other things that if I'm successful, I can't ever do buying houses in East New York. Yeah. So um, whatever that success is, uh, whether it's bringing more light to the, our stories, telling more people about this thing, and obviously economics, there's money that can be made here that I can never make buying those houses. Um, that's something that I have to gamble on in order to do him honor. Here, um, here's my vision for Gastor. This is my vision. Uh, new nickname, Streets Gaffigan. <laughs> Streets Gaffigan, Jim Gaffigan tours the world, brings his entire family with him, his wife, his five kids. He connects with America in, in a very broad way. America, that's a very white America that he's connected right, right. to. You are, you are, you're ethnic America. Like, think of all the people that have come here from other countries to become doctors, lawyers, land, landlords, and, and property owners, and uh, people who... The, the, the bootstraps uh, communities. Right, you know? right. Uh, there are so many people that want to hear your comedy. They don't know it yet, but you're going to connect to those communities across this country because every state has. You know, do you get, do you get political at all or do you just keep it more like I'm specifically talking about my experience and I'm not talking about the bigger American picture necessarily? Um, on my bigger sets and in my stories I do, uh, not in like a shorter set. So I didn't do that until maybe this past year. Um, a big thing that's uh, kind of it's something I noticed over this past year um, is that uh, when I did uh, stand up, I was showing people how I thought and um, I didn't necessarily care if they agreed so much as that they understood. Um, whereas my storytelling would show people the experiences that led to that thought process. Right. Um, so I'm able to so with the story show with that. Right. Exactly. And because of that, I'm starting to get more political um, because I get like a. Especially with the storytelling things, I can do like a 15 minute story that allows me to go into depth and those shows allow me to kind of show more vulnerability that you right. usually can't in a stand up. Well, show. I think like right now, um, I mean, obviously, it's like a very particular political time. There's a lot of talk about immigration, like both legally and illegally and right. just the what it means to be in America. I mean, in my mind, like, you know, this is a nation of immigrants. Um, the people that are always uh, complaining about the people coming in were the previous generation coming in. Um, you know, that's been the history of this country. It's like people, you know, it's like, you know, at one point Italians and, and Irish and all these other folks were like Im immigrating into and they were seen as like pieces of shit. Like, ah, you taking over and, right. you know, now they're just part of the group of white people complaining about other people coming in. Um but, like, from your experience, like, with your family, and as you said, like, a lot of people from the Dominican Republic have already come over to the, this country. Right. Um, like, I know we don't have, like, forever to talk about it, but, like, <laughs> what's your take on, like, what's happening right now? I mean, do you have any, like, and, and, and is, is that anything that you, you're talking about right now in, in comedy or is just? Yeah, so I feel that East New York is probably the most uh, immigrant part of Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Um People know it from Goodfellas. That's where all those stories are from. And back then, there was no Spanish and black people in those movies because yeah. it was an Italian neighborhood then. Um, so, and I, I actively remember when my dad bought a house, uh, bought the first house there. Uh, when we were tearing up the floor, we found uh, 
boxes of letters from a Jewish couple. We found a bunch of uh, Russian at, uh, uh, newspapers in there as well. And so you can literally see the way East New York has changed uh, and it shows all these immigrants. So it, it, it piqued my interest and I read into it and I saw how almost uh, systematically every 15 years, whether it was the banking industry or the government, there was always some type of play to force that current generation's worth of immigrants to get the hell out and allow for new people to move in um, and different tactics, whether it was, you know, uh, scaring them in terms of the new immigrants that were coming in, mm-hmm. uh, hustling them with the mortgages. So over and over again, it's not just uh, a black and Latin experience. This is something that's happened to your point to every type of immigrant that's come here. And that's something that I, I think that I want my comedy to show. Um, I'm a family guy. I, I work hard to take care of them. And that if you ignore the fact that I'm Dominican, this is something that your parents probably dealt with, too. Yeah. Um, and that actively right now it's happening to us. But if you talk to your parents, they probably say, oh, yeah, grandpa probably had that too happen in that same neighborhood. Yeah. How many dick jokes you got? <laughs> Very few. I actually have no dick jokes. <laughs> Tristan gave me a five minute sign just yeah. now. I thought he was saying five dick jokes. Is five what dick he jokes. Has. I know you have, you have like 400 dick jokes. I don't. I do not have that many dick jokes. No. I. I. Be, my. My one stupid joke is that I don't. Would never send a dick pic because I don't think anybody wants to see it. But you got like, that real dick sucky vibe joke. I got the dick sucky vibe. Yeah, I got that one. Uh, two dick jokes. Two dick jokes. Right. I. I just told the premise of the other one, so it's just like a no duh thing that everybody knows. I've told the story of my son walking naked. When he was like two, so his dick was involved in that, but it wasn't my dick. I really derailed a meaningful conversation you were having, and you were making like, a really fuck immigration. Let's talk yeah. about dicks. Let this penis talk. Why no, not? but like that, it is it is really cool to see you use personal experiences and your unique perspective to talk about all that stuff. Is this the most serious uh, comic stable? Oh podcast? No. no, no. Okay, no. cool. Uh, we've I've heard a few of them. I and yeah, we've had some, some, like of the, some of the comedians. Uh, We've had some grouches, some like one or two grouches or some people just talking about like how like crippled with fear and depression they are and that kind of thing like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was just me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I tend to uh, I tend to kind of forget what happens in here. I don't uh, I don't remember every single one. But have, the, have you had that happen yet? Like, so I, I've had two podcasts. Both of them went on for at least like 50 episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, Stoops is at like 80 episodes. And to your point, I don't remember anything after I'm done recording. Yeah. So I've had people come up to me and say, so um, how did you get over that situation when this yeah. guy tried to stab you? Yeah. I'm like, well, how the fuck do you know that? He's like, you told everybody. You <laughs> yeah, said it on the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I never remember. I'm surprised at how much you'll share on here. Yeah. It's odd. Speaking of stabbings, uh, did you, do you, do, I mean, I've heard a lot of your stories. Uh, is there violence? Is there drugs? Like uh, what, no. what was East New York for a, a 15 to 18 year old gas store? Yeah. So um, for me as a 15 to 18 year old, being frank, it was safe because everyone was still scared of my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that machete. Right. I mean, being frank, everyone called me Leo's kid. Yeah. Um, that's his like nickname in the area. So. Um, I saw dangerous things, but everyone kind of shielded me from it. Um, a lot of my stories are about, uh, people that are very dangerous, making sure that I'm not in dangerous situations. Mm -hmm. Um, there was always this idea of he's going to do something better. 
uh, but it's gotten better. It's still dangerous in certain parts. Um, where I live is more of like the Cypress Hills part of East New York, whereas I still have property that's on Pick and Ave that's mm-hmm. still very much East New York that I grew up as. Um, but even that's getting better. It's uh, being developed. It's uh, becoming safer. Um, but in turn, there's the negative to it. Like I have friends that can't afford to live there anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's a catch-22 for me, kind of like what I told you. Like, uh, I'm sorry you're not going to be here. By the same token, I have kids that benefit from me being able to charge more rent. Right. Um, right. So, it, it, you know, I'm not sure where I land on that all the time. Um, it depends on the situation. Um, I've actively tried to always rent to people from the community that I feel are progressing um, and to keep those people here. Uh, but in turn, uh, being frank, I think it's a losing battle. I don't think I'm going to be able to keep the neighborhood yeah. with the same people. Uh, so I'm not sure where that in between is where I'd be happy with what um, ends up being the outcome. Yeah. Uh, let's say all the dreams come true. You're a touring comic. You've got you're on TV. You've got a special on Netflix. Yeah. Uh do you sell the properties? Do you get out of that business altogether? Uh, no. Um, as of right now, my dream scenario is to have a house in L.A. Um, because I do hope that I'm doing shows out there. Mm-hmm. I want a condo in Brooklyn, but I do want that closer to the city so I can get to shows. Um, but I still want every property that I have in East New York, and I want to have more. Um, ideally, I would become like Trump of East New York. In terms I was just going to say, spoken ownership. like a true white man. Yeah. <laughs> You're um, really going for it. Yeah, I really want to own that area and continue to offer opportunities for people that are from there to stay there Yeah, um, and control it. Then they, then when your kids go to say, what is, what is your last name? Amante. What does it mean? I'm the owner of East New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. Holla. Heavy <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> fire. <laughs> you know, it'd be we'd be we'd be lucky to have a uh, capitalist monster like you in charge of Brooklyn. <laughs> oh man, that'd be great. But thanks so much, man. Where can we see you next? What's happening in the next sure. month or two for you? A uh, month or two, I will pretty much be doing about fifteen or twenty shows. As I said, I'll be on. This is not happening. Season four. You'll catch me on there soon. Nice man, and they can find you on Twitter. Gastor like Almonte on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and GastorAlmonte.com. All right, man. Thanks so much for coming by. Nah, thank yeah, you guys so for much, having man. me. Real talk, man. This I'm was dope. I'm sitting across the comics table from Sweet Tea. And I'm sitting across the comics table from Sweet Pea. And we're touching each other's dicks underneath. Oh, eh, oh, eh. <laughs> squeaky. I got to lube it up. I'm deaf stepping back. All right. Have a good night. Thanks for watching, everybody. Guys, thanks for listening to the comics table. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Oh.